Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode in Kex CNC's new podcast series. My name is Dominic Laurie. I was a broadcaster at the BBC and I'm now a director in the London office. Today, we're going to be talking about the latest findings in our regular survey about public attitudes into COVID-19 around the world. Now, the first time out, we had some really interesting insights into what people are thinking, and it's no different this time around. With me today are James Johnson, former polling expert for the UK Prime Minister and now a Kex CNC senior advisor. Nicole Manners, our Global Head of Knowledge, Insights, Research and Analytics based in New York, and Kevin Sodi, partner and head of our London office. Um, James, I'm going to start with you. Um, you've been running this poll for us. One of the things that makes our research different is it's international. We, we look at several markets around the world, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, taking part in the UK, uh, Sweden, Germany, Japan uh, and the United States. And I think what's what's really striking about this uh, this wave of the survey is that we're seeing some real patterns across all the countries. I mean, particularly in terms of how long people think the impact of the virus is going to last post majorities in every country saying that they now expect the impact of this on their own country and on the economy to last more than a year. Um, and for some, you know, that's even longer than two years. And also, I think, on the impact on consumer behaviour. And this is obviously very relevant to business, uh, very relevant to different sectors, as well as governments as well. And what's really striking there is that even if there's a successful vaccine, people are saying they're going to do, they're going to travel much less, they're going to travel abroad much less, they're going to eat out at restaurants less. We're potentially seeing, and we need to be cautious because, you know, people are in the middle of a pandemic, people are seeing it through that lens. But we're potentially seeing across all five countries uh, some real long lasting changes to consumer behaviour because of this virus. There's actually much less of a difference than you'd think between coming out of lockdown and having a vaccine, because you'd think that when there's a vaccine, people would think, OK, now I want to do all the things that I've missed for the last year and a half. I'm going to go back to how I was. But you're saying actually the difference between a, a, you know, a vaccine and coming out of lockdown isn't that great or isn't as great as you might think. Yeah, exactly. We're definitely seeing uh, people. And now, as I say, we need to be careful. We are in the eye of the storm here, but certainly it looks like uh, there are going to be some long lasting changes. Now, there is a difference. And there's another interesting point here, which is that that difference is starker in some countries than others. So it seems that there's a little bit more of faith in a vaccine um, in the US uh, and in Japan, where actually those differences between what would I do after lockdown compared to what would I do after a vaccine being a little bit less, uh, being, being a little bit greater um, than in those other countries. So that's suggesting maybe that in those countries, people are a bit more faithful about what the impact a vaccine will have. But even there, you know, stark differences even afterwards. Yeah, one of the things, the beauty of this survey is you can look into those international differences. And I've got the, I've got the survey open in front of me, and it's really stark that question after question almost always you have the UK and the US being the most nervous and pessimistic and Germany and Sweden seeming to be the least pessimistic. Why is there any, is, is, is that a trend that you see and is there any sense of why that might be? Yeah, well, I think we're seeing, um, we're seeing really interesting divergence on, on one of the main questions we've asked, which, which I think goes some way to explaining that. It basically says, you know, gives two people, uh, gives, gives the people uh, answering the survey two rather, uh, uh, difficult choices. One which is, you know, should governments limit the spread of the disease, um, even if that means a major recession or depression and the loss of many jobs? Or on the flip side, should they focus on protecting the economy, avoiding a recession or depression, but, but that potentially costing lives and leading to more cases? So the UK and Japan um, are, are quite ardent that actually government should limit the spread of the disease, even if that means economic damage. 
Um, the US is sort of in the middle between between the rest, uh, sort of a narrow majority saying limit the spread. And then in Sweden and Germany, people are marginally still more likely to say that their government should limit the spread, but many more are saying protect the economy. And that number's got greater in the last in the last week now and in the last month. It's it's interesting because Sweden and Germany they're clearly coming out of their out of their lockdowns, but the UK is not far behind that either. So there's not a clear pattern here in terms of where people are in the stage of the pandemic and even where people are in, in, in the stage of, uh, of of how many deaths they've, they've, they've inflicted. I mean, Japan, for example, you know, has had very few deaths comparatively, but is having, um, is having a sort of, uh, is, is one of the countries that are the most concerned. I think what that does is it highlights the importance of public opinion in all of this. You know, it's not something that can just be, decided based on whereabouts in the curve a country is. It's being guided by lots of different factors and is therefore absolutely imperative for governments and business to keep a very close eye on indeed. Nicole Manners in, in, in New York, if you look at um, US, you know, the US public's response in this survey to how confident you're feeling about your own personal health, the health of the people in the country as a whole, the economy as a whole, there still seems to be quite a lot of pessimism. Yes, absolutely. While the U.S. remains the most optimistic in terms of how long they think that the crisis will endure, um, it's clear that Americans are particularly hurting right now. And in our research, we're observing acute concern about the impact to the economy for Americans and their own jobs. Just about under one in four say that they do expect to lose their job and another third say that they actually expect their companies to collapse. And we're finding those trends are even more pronounced in younger audiences. A third of people in the US feel their companies will collapse. I mean, how that's that has huge implications for, for for politics, for how businesses communicate with employees. It affects everything. Absolutely. And what's interesting is that we're not necessarily seeing that that translates, as Jane was alluding to, um, to a shift in preference. We still have a majority of Americans saying that we should be prioritizing saving lives over protecting the economy. Um, we are, however, starting to see a shift in that. There's about 27% of people compared to 20% last month believing that the government should start focusing on inverting an economic crisis or recession, even if it means that the disease will spread. But just to jump in on that, I think, you know, you know, if you, if you think, you know, if you look at some of these countries, you know, a third of people saying they expect their company to collapse, that seems dramatic. But then you look at Japan, and Japan is coming out of this data as, you know, a real sort of um, uh, shock in terms of 39% of Japanese workers are saying they expect to lose their job. Um, that is significantly higher than any other market. In the UK, it's just 11%. And I think what we're seeing come through in the data in Japan is, a lot of concern from people that the, the measures of governments of business support from government uh, that we've seen quite widespread in in other countries is not quite at the level that they want to see in Japan, and that's really fueling some of this economic concern, which is obviously huge in that part of the in that part of the world. And all this happening, Nicole, in the U.S. in an election year. Absolutely. Yeah, and we're seeing uh, increasing declines in terms of the confidence of the federal government's response over the last two weeks. Um, that's one of the trends that is most stark. We are, however, seeing sustained confidence in local government response, which is a positive outcome. Kevin Sodi, um, a partner in our London office. Uh, Kevin, what implications does this have for, for business, um, for how you're a senior advisor to clients? And I guess this is an unprecedented situation. Employees feeling, you know, there's a serious likelihood of significant economic damage to their own employer. You know, that's 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 an unprecedented situation. It is, and employers have to realise that this is going to go on for much longer. 
they're going to have to think about how they work differently, how they keep their business going, how they can access government support. Is the government support they're accessing right? Actually, we're seeing in some markets uh, some criticism that although the government is providing support, it's actually not going to the businesses that need it. And then if you are a business that's getting support, if you are a business looking to the future, so how are you going to work differently? Are you going to have to have people working remotely? Can they come back to the workplace? When can they come back? Will there be rotors? How will you look after their health? What can you sell? Who's going to buy it? How are you going to sell it? All of these things need to be factored into businesses thinking very, very differently about how they operate in the future. And if you're a chief executive of a company, you, you're going to have to strike a balance between rallying the troops, optimism, belief in what you do. You have to you have to talk about belief in the future because that's why organizations exist. But if your employees at the same time are still incredibly nervous, um, there's a, that's a balancing act, isn't it, Kevin? And it's an incredibly difficult uh, decision for a company to make. How do you get people to come back to work? When do you get people to come back to work? What if people say, I'm too scared? You're seeing a level of fear in some countries that is astonishing. The messaging about staying home, staying safe has resonated so strongly that people don't even want to get outside their front doors and certainly don't want to get onto public transport and go to work. Public transport use is expected to fall significantly. So how are people actually going to get to work to do the work that they need to do? Um, James, you know, you've, you've seen polling trends over, over years and years. It's your specialism. How how common is it for for people's sort of to be sort of steadfast in their views and those views to actually change significantly? How how likely is it that these opinions are going to be cemented in behaviour in, in in future years, or, or or can these switch when when the environment becomes more positive? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I think they they certainly can switch. I mean, I think what what's important to note on on this is that you know we're looking at marginal effects. So what we're not saying is that you know all of a sudden, you know, public transport is going to stop being used and air travel is suddenly going to stop and dry up. But what we are saying is that there will be, you know, important marginal effects in these sectors that, that will make a difference. Now, on that, on, on the point about, you know, how, how, you know how, how much can we trust the public on their reported behaviour, I suppose. And if you look at 9-11, for example, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about whether that would change consumer behaviour. And a lot of people look back at that crisis now and say, well, it was exaggerated, you know, consumer behaviour returned to normal. But actually, you know, it took until um, sort of, you know, the mid 2000s um, for um, you know, a US uh, air travel to return to where it was before before 9-11 took place. We, we certainly could be looking at very big changes within a short period of time. Um, Nicole Manners in New York, one of the issues that is bound to come out of this is executive pay, pay cuts, um, you know, especially if there's sustained pessimism for a long period of time. Um, how is that playing out? Yeah, absolutely. And the U.S. response is we ask folks to prioritize specific actions that they would like to see in the post-crisis situation. Um, And what we found is that about one out of three are prioritizing executive pay cuts above other initiatives. That includes things like manufacturing hospital equipment or providing cheaper goods and services to the most vulnerable, um, measures that were prioritized by much smaller minorities, 15 and 16% of Americans respectively. So that's something that executives will need to grapple with very cautiously moving forward. Yeah, and it's very interesting because we actually, in the first survey, we asked, well, have you seen businesses stepping up? 
and doing more to help their communities in the wider wider world um, in this pandemic. And 68% of people said, yes, they had seen businesses stepping up. So great. But what actually does stepping up mean? And so this time we tried to drill down in it because our survey respondents had said, businesses that step up will get their business in the future. So it's good to be seen to be doing good things. But what are they? So in the US, as Nicole said, it's executive maybe taking pay cuts. In other markets, it's working with health services to produce protective equipment. Or interestingly, working together with other companies, which is something that would not normally be anything that would cross the chief executive's mind. But to work together with another company to produce something together is going to be well received in the wider market. James, we've now had two um, surveys really interesting. What do you think is the most interesting, most salient finding you've seen that has really made you think the world is a different place than it was? Well, I think I think what one of the things that really comes through, um, you know, across both ways, particularly in this latest one, is actually what does this what does the world look like afterwards? You know, we saw with the financial crisis, um, you know, sort of lots of pressure on banks afterwards, lots of pressure on business to change the way they acted. Um, I think you know it's starting to become clear from this research uh, what that might be. Um, after this, after the coronavirus, and you know, in in because uh, majorities in in these countries are saying they want to see the economy fundamentally changed afterwards, and it seems that that means they want to see higher pay for key workers, um, particularly healthcare workers, and that they want to see a much bigger focus on helping the most vulnerable, and they really want to see uh, pandemic preparation um, at the heart of um, at the heart of governments too. You know the whole uh, debate around uh, you know what sort of uh, businesses should do in the community, and how businesses meet ESG targets, and, and how they how they portray themselves, um, how that how their brand is is greeted by the public and by their by their consumers, um, could well change. Um, we obviously saw before this crisis, you know, the environment was a massive, a massively important factor. It could be that we're now looking at that turn towards healthcare workers and the most vulnerable instead. And I think one thing that you'd add to that is that the old fashioned corporate citizenship is going to become incredibly important. And when James talks about the change in the economy and what people want to see, it's very interesting. In many of our markets, this is a statement that's being made from people old and young and from across the political spectrum. This isn't an issue that is politicized. In other markets, I think Nicole could probably talk about the US, there is a much stronger political divide in terms of what people think about the future. Yes, I was actually just going to jump in with that point. Um, One of the most striking things about the findings in the US market is this idea that there's this expanding and enduring cultural divide in America. And that dynamic is very much played out in the survey across several responses. Um, the first one I'd flag is we've got about 47% of Americans seeing that they do want to see these types of fundamental changes to how the economy works post-crisis, and another 40% who's saying, let's return to exactly as we were before. Um, similarly, you've got 34% on either side saying that the government is getting support to businesses that need it the most, and 34% saying that it is not. So this partisan divide and cultural divide really does impact where the U.S. sits on many of these questions. So if the world is a different place after the pandemic, it may be different for different people. So it's going to be a complicated um, settlement to, to come to. 
James Johnson, Nicole Manners, Kevin Sodi, thank you very much for your time. If you want more details about this research, please do go to our website, www.kextcnc.com. That's K-E-K-S-T-C-N-C.com. You'll also be able to subscribe to our newsletter where you can get expert views on all aspects of how strategic communications can help companies navigate this crisis. Thank you very much for listening. Do tune in for the next episode.